0: into and transitions really well to our sermon for today. And so we're going through the book of James. So if you have a Bible, open up to James. We're going to be in James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And so flip to that with me, James chapter 4, 13 uh, 13 through 17, and go ahead and stand as I read this text. James, the brother of Jesus. Continues his letter to the first century church. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Lord, may this word come alive to us today and help us in very practical, tangible ways as we have to make decisions for our lives. We pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, isn't this text incredibly helpful? It's such a great reminder. I I love the, the kind of the teaching point here. Verse 14, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Let that sink in, church family. As James has been instructing the church, he's talked a lot about humility and wisdom. He's talked about meekness, using pow- having power but keeping it under control and using it for the good of others and-, and humbling ourselves before the Lord. This last section that we looked at last week, it talked about God opposing the proud, but giving grace to the humble. And now in a very practical example of humility, he says, what is your life? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's an incredibly humbling passage if we really let that sink in. So many of our life pursuits, so many of our decisions, so many of the things that we invest in and spend time doing are to benefit self. They are to better our life. They are to leave a legacy. And here James is saying, keep in perspective, keep in mind that your life is a mist. I bet the majority of us can't go back to our our third or our fourth great, 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 great grandparents, right? Some of us can probably go back to a great grandparent, maybe a great-great-grandparent, but getting past that is pretty hard because life is a mist. And unless you spend some time digging into your ancestry, which I know some of you have likely done... You don't know much about the past. And so keep that in perspective. Keep that in mind that as we go, as you have children, as your children have children, as you build friends, as you create businesses, as you build things, as you remodel your homes, as you you invest in your career and change careers and you try to make an impact in the world, keep in mind, James' reminder here, your life is a mist. And so when we keep that in mind, we can say, God, what is your will for my life? If my life is amiss, and if I have my very life, my very breath from you, it's breathed into me from you, what is your will for my life? And that's what James is getting at here. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a place, And verse 13, and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. How much of our life pursuit is filled with trying to figure out what we will do tomorrow? What we will do next year, what we will do in our next, our five-year plan, right? Whether you're in a company, a business where you're working on five-year plans, whether you're in a church that's trying to think about the future and and vision and trying to come up with a five-year plan, whether you as a family or you as an individual are thinking through, what do do I do with my life? What's my five-year plan? James isn't telling us not to think about the future. He's telling us to hold it with open hands. He's saying, those, those of you who put too much trust in the future and you trying to figure out what you need to do now to control a better outcome in the future, just remember, your life is a miss. And then in verse 15, he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See, he's not saying don't make plans to do this or to do that. That's the, the tension of the Christian life, right? The, the Christian life is full of tension embrace that tension, rest in that tension because it's all over the place. How does God's sovereignty and human responsibility work together? Good luck figuring that one out. They're both true. They're both biblically true. Throughout scripture, we see that God is sovereign and in control of all things, and yet he calls mankind to be responsible and that our decisions have real consequences. And so James is saying, make plans, think about tomorrow, Hold them with open hands and say, Lord, if it be your will. I love Proverbs sixteen nine that says, Man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So he's not saying sit idly by. The scripture doesn't say just, just sit on your hands and do nothing. It says make plans, but always hold them with open hands, knowing that your life is a mist and knowing that God redirects. And, and so many of us in this room are just filled with Decision fatigue. or decision anxiety, anxiety about the future. What will tomorrow hold? We have like 14 or 15 pregnant ladies in our church right now. Amazing, and we've had a couple babies born in the last few months. The COVID baby bump is real. And you expecting parents and you new parents, what will the future hold? What are these sleepless nights going to be like? Or when will they end if you're already in the midst of them? I can't see tomorrow because I'm so stuck in today. Some of you, you long to be married and and you're wondering, does God have this for me? Some of you wonder if you married the wrong spouse. God, did I make the wrong decision? Did I screw my life up? Some of you wondering, "Do, do I transition my career? Do I change my job? Do I buy a new house? Do I remodel this house? All these decisions that are swirling, and they consume so much of us, and they create such anxiety in us. How do I spend my money? How do I make more money? How do I care for my neighbors? How do I, how do I care for my aging spouse? I have end-of-life decisions to make. What, am I, what, what do I do with my money? Who do I, Who do I pass it off to? Do I continue to spend money on the care for a spouse who no longer is, is functioning properly. These are huge decisions that we as mankind have to think through. And James isn't telling us to not give it thought and attention. He's not telling us to not, play, to not make plans and to not think about the future, but he's saying to hold it loosely I always submit it to God's will, saying, Lord, if it be your will. And so this morning, I simply want to do a a little discovering together. I want us to talk about discovering the will of God and practically what that looks like. I I don't need to spend any more time explaining to you how we all have these decisions to make, and they weigh on us, right? We all know that we feel that. And so this morning, I'm going to call Pastor Mark up. You've heard that he is leaving, Another departure. It's like departure notice Sunday here at Park Community Church. (laughs) Um, You know, and and I'm sure some of this will apply to the decisions that Tim and Sarah made to move and the decisions that Amanda and Stephen are making to go to his church and decisions that you're wrestling with. What church do I attend? What, What job do I take? Where do I live? How long do I live there? And before Mark kind of gives us an example of how he discovered God's will for him to move to Bagley, Minnesota to pastor Calvary Evangelical Free Church there, we're so excited about that, by the way. Um, Another departure that's sad, Mark's been here since the very beginning. When Brittany and I moved to St. Louis Park to start City Vision Church, Mark was working at a caribou. I walked into the caribou that he was managing. Brittany and I had just moved in. We were living in an apartment. We felt God was calling us to start a new church in this city. And it was me and Brittany and our little one-year-old daughter, Avery, I walked into Caribou. I had printed a little postcard. I handed it to Mark, and he had just moved to St. Louis Park, him and his wife, Jen. They hadn't started attending a church yet. And I said, hey, we're starting a new church. You want to join us? And he said, yeah, see you on Sunday. And he's been here ever since. That was eight years ago. So, so much faithfulness, just serving in every, he's ran the soundboard, he's done the video, he hooked up all of our video stuff, he's on leading worship this morning, because Pastor Ben and, and his wife Jenny are in Wisconsin, uh, for Jenny's grandma's funeral. And so when something like that happens, Mark fills in with music. When I need to be gone, Mark fills in with preaching. Mark has done so much here, and so it's, it's, a, it's a bittersweet loss for us But I want Mark to share some of the story of how God led him here and take some of these practical principles for yourselves in your decision-making. And and again, before I hand it over to Mark, I just want to say what what an incredible example of biblical faithfulness and wisdom Mark and Jen have been. Like, as I read through the book of James and as I consider what James has to say here, I have seen Mark live this out. And so Mark's going to just give us some of the examples of how Um, he came to this decision to go to Bagley in in how we discover the will of God together. And so, Mark, walk us through that. Thank
1: Thank you. Yeah, you could call this How God Leads Normal People because I didn't hear any booming voices or there were no miraculous events, nothing like that. I wanted to share this with you to give you insight into how long of a process this was with Jen and I. This was not a quick decision. And we wanted to share the story as well, just in hopes that it might help you think through how God may lead you. Um, I'll start from the beginning. This started uh, for us last summer. We found ourselves having conversations multiple times. About living in a rural place. As we take trips throughout the summer, we found ourselves discussing whether or not we could live in the small towns we were driving through on road trips. It was super casual and not anything new. That was kind of small talk we had on road trips before. And on top of that, we figured I mean, last year was 2020, everyone was restless and wanted life to be different than what it was. That's where we all were. So we ignored it. And it brings me to the first point. Don't undervalue your desires and leanings that you might have. As the summer went on, we found ourselves having these conversations more and more. More and more often. And the idea of living in a rural context became more common discussion. And because of my role here, the conversation also included the idea of me being a pastor in a small country church. So Andrew talked about this a little bit. We've been with Ben and Andrew for a long time. 2012, I think, is when we connected with the church plant. And beyond a doubt, God had called us to ministry here with them. We had the church plant, and we went through the merge with Park Free, which became Park Community Church. An amazing work of God that we were in the middle of. And never once did we doubt that this was where God had called us. We loved it here. So any thoughts of anything else were quickly dismissed as idle dreaming. Because, well, this is where God has us. Obviously, God's working here. By September, this was getting a little distracting for me. I was constantly having recurring thoughts of solo pastorate in a small rural church. To the point where it was almost frustrating. I couldn't concentrate on what I was doing. The thought was always popping into my head. And I was always in the habit of just dismissing it. No, we're here, we're here at Park. This is where God has us. And I remember it was a Wednesday morning. I was sitting at my desk at my typewriter. And my, for journaling, I type up on typewriters. And it was almost as if a light bulb went off. Um, it reminded me of the story in 1 Samuel 3. Eli is the high priest of Israel. Samuel is with him, devoted to the temple from birth. And They're sleeping one night, and Samuel hears his voice being called. So he wakes up, goes down the hall to Eli and says, what do you you need? Eli wakes up and says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So Samuel goes back, lays down, falls back asleep. Wakes up again to his voice being heard. Goes back to Eli, hey, what do you need? He says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. This happened a couple times until Eli realized, oh wait, maybe it's God calling him. And he tells Samuel, next time he calls, answer, and say, here I am, Lord. He answers, and God responds. I feel as though I had the exact same experience that morning at my desk. There was no audible voice. There was no miraculous event. It was simply a realization or a letting go. I realized, oh wait, maybe, maybe this isn't just distraction. Maybe God is starting to move and calling us away from park. I'd never thought of anything beyond park, ever. But when the switch flipped, there was a noticeable peace. And that's the only way I can explain it. A peace realizing that God may be beginning to move in our life in a way we did not expect. So don't undervalue your desires and leanings. Especially if they get to the point of obsession and distraction. Maybe God is leading you somewhere. The next thing, seek community for clarity. Don't go through life in isolation. Jen and I both became convinced that this was the direction that God was calling us. We were both feeling the same. So I knew I had to start reaching out and talking to people. Just for some sort of verification. Like, am I, am I crazy to even be considering leaving Park? A growing church in a growing city so we reached out to the people we thought would help all the while trying to keep this somewhat confidential because we were still at park and still loved it here so we weren't sure if this is where we were headed so reached out to a couple of friends talked to my parents and then had lunch with Ben and Andrew and when we have staff meetings, we, we start with a personal update. And so we had sat down, we were having lunch this time together. And so I said, um, I'll start with personal update, and I'm going to drop a bombshell. <laughs> and I said, I said, I think I'm feeling a stirring towards solo pastorate rural ministry. Now, when I said that, I think it was the next words that came out of Ender's mouth. He said, I always thought you'd end up in rural ministry. My mom, when we told them that, said the exact same thing word for word. There's a term called synchronicity. Here's the definition. The simultaneous occurrence of events which appear significantly related but have no discernible causal connection. I think that's extremely helpful for a Christian when trying to think through how God is working. And it's helpful to add three words to that definition. The simultaneous occurrence of events which appear significantly related, but have no discernible causal connection apart from God. The response of Andrew and my mom were the first of many synchronicities and coincidences that kept just pulling us along. The people I reached out to were giving all green lights. I was encouraged to keep moving forward, and the insights from those people were incredibly valuable in the whole process. So seek community for clarity and help when you're trying to discern the future and where God might be leading you. Next one. Don't be shy about details. This one was hard for me, but I had the guts to do it, and this is where it started getting a little bit creepy. <laughs> it was a huge step of faith, but this obsession had become such a crystal clear thing at this point for me. This would have been mid, mid to late October, I think it was. And I wanted full transparency because I figured the more I tell people about what I'm feeling, the more input I'll get to help process it. When I shared it with Ben and Andrew, they said, hey, you should email Dave Lindy. He is the director of credentialing and placement at the district. They said, email him. He, He can start helping you process through if God's calling you somewhere else. And I told this to Ben and Andrew at the lunch. And I also have it in the email I sent Dave Lindy in mid-October. It said, I'm feeling a stirring for solo pastorate, rural place. If I had to be any more specific, I feel like it's supposed to be northwest Minnesota. It's even hard to explain now why I felt that way, looking back on it. it. I can't explain. It wasn't like a vision or anything. It was just There was a simplicity to it almost. It was like, well, obviously if I'm going to be doing rural ministry, it's going to be in northwest Minnesota. It was as simple as that. And I figured I should step out in faith and be as honest as what I'm feeling to help other people help me think through this. Don't be shy about details. They may really increase your faith later on as you come across obstacles in the process. The next one. Talking to Dave. Send him an email. We had a Zoom call. And Dave sent me to a very obscure verse. And his advice was to keep moving. Keep moving forward. And here's the verse. Ecclesiastes 11, 5 and 6. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. He shared that with me to say, You don't know what God's doing. So keep moving. Maybe God is doing something. Keep taking steps toward what you feel God is leading you to because you don't know what He's doing. Just as in James, you don't know the future. And not knowing the future can have one of two effects on you. You can say, I don't know the future, so I'm not going to do anything and you're paralyzed with inactivity. That's typically what I fall into. Or, you say, I don't know the future, so I don't know what's not going to work. I don't know exactly what God is doing, so I'm going to keep going. There's nothing that's to say this is not a work of God. So I kept moving forward. That led to early November. I filled out a pastor search profile. That is the uh, software that the Evangelical Free Church uses to place uh, pastors. It's kind of like a LinkedIn for pastors in the network, basically. Um, and each district has their director of placement that kind of looks at, looks at all the pastors who are looking for churches, looks at all the churches who are looking for pastors, and connects the dots. So I went in there, and it's a nationwide database, and I said, solo pastorate, Minnesota, church under 100, and I sent it off, (laughs) about as specific as you can get. Sent it off, and nothing happened for two months. Jen and I kept discussing a huge shift for a future, and by December we were pretty confident that at some point in 2021, we were going to be transitioning away from park and going to a different type of ministry. The week before Christmas, I got a call from Ron. He's the church chairman at Calvary Evangelical Free Church in Bagley, Minnesota. Bagley is smack dab in the middle of northwest Minnesota. It's about 20 minutes west of Bemidji. We had a long conversation over the phone, and we both decided to keep moving forward, so they reached out to the references I had given them. Jen and I were intrigued. Uh, we needed to know. I mean, I'd, I've been to Bemidji maybe twice in my life. I don't remember it. I'd never been to northwest Minnesota, so we had to know, can we like even live up there? So during uh, the week of New Year's, we left kids with my parents and we headed up, got a hotel in Bemidji, went up and we just explored the area, explored vaguely. We did not tell them that we were coming up there. We did it covertly and uh, we absolutely loved it. It was just beautiful up there. While we were up there, another synchronicity, Ron called me again. We were sitting in our hotel room. And they had finished talking to references. And he said, are are you still interested? And we're like, yes, I I think so, yes. (laughs) And so he sent me a role description and salary package. And it was not enough. I wrote them a letter back saying this is not enough for us to even live off of. Well, that doesn't mean we're out. It just means we've got to get creative. <laughs> what we needed to know was that if God was calling us there, and in order to know that, we needed to meet them. If God is calling us there, paychecks are secondary. And those are details that God will work out. We needed to know them as a church family. And in a sense, see if we fell in love with them. Several weeks later, uh, we made a trip up there. They invited us up for Saturday. And we met the search committee. At this point, it was still confidential, even at their church. They had not put my name out. And again, this would have been mid January, I think. It was right at the start of our cold snap. It was uh, 20 below up in Bagley when we had the search committee meeting. We sat down for fellowship and a casual interview just to get to know each other, as much us trying to figure out who they were as they figuring out who we were. For me, within 15 minutes of sitting down and talking to them, I had complete peace, and I knew this would be good. I can't explain it any other way. It was just an overwhelming feeling of, yep, I think this will work. It was an incredible experience to have total peace about total strangers. The week after the search committee meeting, they unanimously agreed to put me forward to the congregation and have us up for a candidating weekend. At this point, Ben and I started having more serious talks about planning transitions at Park. So we went up the weekend of March 7th, just a few weeks ago, Uh, was another amazing experience. Met many wonderful people. God worked about a miracle of sorts to provide us a temporary house that we can live in until we find one to buy. And by the end of the weekend, it was hard for us to leave. It felt like home. And I know how cheesy that sounds. There was complete peace. The following weekend, just a couple of weeks ago, the congregation unanimously voted to call me up as their pastor. It's an amazing journey. There's one more big thing that confirmed it for me. And I treasure this one so close to my heart. And it's kind of hard for me to share because it's a little intimate. I feel like it's kind of between me and God. But I hope it helps you. And that's this. God, God knows how to lead you. I feel, like there, I feel like we think that God's will is almost like an airplane. If you miss your boarding time, well, too late. That's not like that. He knows exactly how to lead you. And you're not going to miss it. When I reached out to Dave at the district, again, this would have been mid-October, he was the first one who brought up, he, we were talking, he was like, well, here are the churches that are looking, and he mentioned Bagley. It was the first time I'd heard of Bagley. So Bemidji and the surrounding area kind of filled Jen and my conversations. It was the only frame of reference we had for churches looking for a pastor. once things started moving, I bought a bunch of books on rural ministry. Started diving in and reading them. These were national books on the current rural ministry. The second book I read was called The Forgotten Church. And it began with a story of Frank Higgins. He was a Presbyterian pastor who started ministry in the 1890s in Bemidji, Minnesota. there's synchronicity. I thought, that's a little weird. A little strange that I'm reading this book. And it opens up with a story about a pastor in Bemidji, Minnesota. Which is where we're thinking about going. Fast forward another month or two. We go up to meet for the search committee. And I had dinner with the intern pastor. As we were talking about ministry in northern Minnesota... He said, have you heard about Frank Higgins and his ministry? And I said, oh yeah, I read a book, it was in the intro of this book. And he said, so you have to read the book, The Last of the Giants. It's the story of Frank Higgins and his ministry in northern Minnesota. He said, it's kind of the spiritual history of the area and a connection point for a lot of the churches up here is his ministry. So I got the book and plowed through it. Frank Higgins was a pastor of Presbyterian Church in Bemidji, Minnesota. He started there in the 1890s during the prime logging years up in northern Minnesota. He would preach on Sunday, and then during the week he would head out into the woods and make a tour of as many logging camps as he could. He'd be preaching the gospel, he would care for the lumberjacks, He would bring them resources, have services. During the summer, he would hike with his backpack full of Bibles and other resources for the men in the camps. And during the winter, he had a dog sled. He did this for years and had incredible fruit. As time went on, many of those logging camps became what we now know as the small towns scattered throughout northern Minnesota, Bemidji, Walker, all of those small towns up there, Brainerd. Many of the earliest churches in those towns can be directly connected to the the men who became Christian under Higgins' ministry as he shared the gospel with the lumberjacks. Just amazing stories. So at this point, i got to mention that I grew up in Rockford, Minnesota. Rockford is straight out uh, Highway 55, about a half hour. Um, I grew up there. My parents still live there in the same house I grew up in on the Crow River. Back to Frank Higgins. One week in the mid-1890s, Higgins was unable to make it back for a Sunday service. He made it back to Bemidji on Tuesday, the following week, and the leadership team met with him and said, okay, look, Frank, this has to stop. You either be our pastor, or you be a missionary to Lumberjacks, but you can't do both. And he said, okay, I quit. And headed back out into the woods. (laughs) You could argue pastorally not the best decision, But it certainly made me smile. So another weird coincidence. His ministry went on. and Oh, so there's a line in the book right after that that said, because he left the church, he was no longer receiving his regular paycheck. So his wife and his daughter went back to their family farm in Delano, Minnesota. For those of you who know the west suburbs, Delano is just south of Rockford, where I grew up. Maybe about five miles. And I thought, that's weird. Weird coincidence. Higgins' ministry went on for decades. Uh, He built an entire network of missionaries that spent their lives traveling and ministering among logging camps in northern Minnesota. And eventually across the entire country. He stepped up to more of an oversight kind of fundraising uh, position as he oversaw the missionaries that were underneath him. And his ministry left a mark that is still felt on the spiritual heritage of northern Minnesota. Eventually around 1908, Frank Higgins began having severe pain in his shoulder from all those years of carrying a backpack full of Bibles. It was discovered to be a type of cancer. His first surgery was scheduled and after that is where I'll pick up and I'll read kind of the last section of this book. Or the last section of part one of this book. So this is right after his first surgery. Frank went back to Shelburne, that's up in Canada. And there, in the peace and quiet of his native Canadian home, he slowly regained a measure of strength and fooled his physicians by making a partial recovery. He went back to his labors, preaching under the desperate drive of the conscious knowledge that his days were numbered. Not one waking minute was free from pain, and the hours of the night dragged by as agony of body drove sleep from his pillow. But no word of complaint ever came from from his lips, and his courageous heart would not admit defeat. For six long, pain-filled years, he toured the country, tramped and rode the woods, and preached to men who knew he was dying on his feet. Perhaps the very handicap under which he labored worked to the advantage of his ministry, as the men of the woods gave more earnest heed to the words of a man almost dead. They were fruitful years, and they live in the memory of those who knew him. He was a giant to the end, although a weak and trembling giant. The spirit of the man burned brighter as the days grew shorter, and twice more surgeons tried to save his life by the application of their utmost skill. But the third operation ended his battle, and the giant fell. He returned to his home in Shelburne for a final rest, and there he fell asleep, his labors done. He had a great entrance into life eternal. After this, there's a little one-sentence paragraph. The National Mission Board sent a representative to Canada to bring his body back for burial. And he sleeps today at Delano, in the heart of the country he evangelized for Christ. And again, I thought, he's buried in Delano? So, I love history, and I love context. So I was like, I got to go see this guy's grave. Pay homage to him. So I went online, typed in Frank Higgins' grave, Delano, Minnesota brought me to the American Grave Index. I had all the Frank Higgins, and so I found his name, Reverend Frank Higgins, January 1915 is when he died. Burial place, Elmwood Cemetery, Rockford, Minnesota. Elmwood Cemetery is at the end of the street that I grew up on, four blocks from my parents' house. All through high school and college, in the evenings, I would walk and pray. I'd walk down the street and around the cemetery. I cannot tell you how many times I've walked past that guy's grave. God knows exactly how to lead you. It was the ultimate confirmation for me. There's a big, beautiful memorial stone that I remember walking past. It says, Reverend Frank Higgins. I never read it. Underneath his name, it says, Sky Pilot to the Lumberjacks of America. Early in his ministry, one of the lumberjacks asked, what do you hope to accomplish by spending all your time out with us? And his response was, to pilot men's souls to the sky. And the name stuck. From then on, all the missionaries to lumberjacks were called sky pilots. And on the other side of the memorial, there's a beautiful poem that will forever be close to my heart as we move towards ministry in the north woods of Minnesota. Where winter's chill is deep and still, and where summer days are long, where sighing breeze and branches fill the air with sob and song, There lies a parish of the Lord, no wall or street confines. There waits the coming of the Lord, the parish of the pines. The last thing is remember your journey. This was such a clear calling for me. And I, I do... I have to think that God made it that obvious because I'm so cautious and slow to move. But even with such clear callings, I know that there will be hard times. I know that there will be weeks and months where I doubt whether or not God really called us here. And you need to remember the journey that God brings you through. After these last six months, I'm left completely humbled and empty. This journey has not left me puffed up saying, wow, look at how special I am that God's moving me on and calling me. I'm left simply thinking, why me? Who am I that God would orchestrate such things? giving me a sense of calling to northwest Minnesota to a church that's looking for a pastor that I'd never even heard of before. And who am I that God would move me to pastor that small, faithful group of people? As we move on to ministry in another place, I just ask that you would keep us in your prayers. And as times get hard, I ask that you would help me remember my journey. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for calling, I thank you for how you work. thank you for how intimately you know us and lead us. And Lord, I pray that you would just continually open our eyes to how you're working in and around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Mark. Well, know that we've
0: clearly not all of our stories are as clear, right? But these principles are so profound, regardless of the confusion that you may be living in trying to seek God's will right now. These principles, as Mark was preaching, I was thinking through every big thing that God has done in my life, I can find elements of those principles there. So keep that in mind. And what I want to do now is just transition to now that we've talked through how do we discover God's will, what we need to keep in mind is once we discover God's will, we have to surrender to it. Right, We have to surrender to the will of God. One of the things that I love that Mark said in there, he just mentioned that the pay wasn't enough, uh, but he said, if God is calling you, paychecks are secondary. That's, just, that's not just for pastoral ministry or anyone who's going into ministry. That's for all of us. God cares more about you and using you for his glory, the advancement of his kingdom, and the good of those that you do life with than he does about your bank account. All right, And so as we discover God's will in all areas of life, What we need to do then is surrender to it. Mark and Jen are stepping out in faith, surrendering to God's will, and there's still not enough pay from that church. It's a small church of 40 to 50 people. They're hoping that over time it can grow, but their budget can't quite support a full-time pastor. So Mark has accepted this call with 75% of their financial needs met, and so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to collect an offering for Mark and Jen to hope to help get them closer to 100% of their salary. So you can do that on giving envelopes, in the boxes, you can do that online, you can designate to the Johnson Financial Support, and uh, and so that's one way that we surrender to God's will, right? Doing what he has called us to do, even if all the details aren't fully clear yet. I love that mention about, like, work through the details, don't hold back the details, but God continues to reveal those to us as we walk. And so... Great story, a ton to take away from that, and I I just love an example of a man who has followed Christ, a man and a woman who have followed Christ. Mark and Jen have set an example for us. Scripture calls us to remember our leaders who speak the word of God to us and imitate their faith. So there's great things to learn from that. However, when we gather at Park Community Church, our primary goal isn't to hear stories of other people that we should imitate right? That is something that we do because the Bible calls us to. But ultimately, what we do when we gather is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As we discover God's will, we surrender to God's will. As James says, what is your life? You are a mist. You appear for a little time and then vanish. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. So as we discover God's will, as we walk through the journey, we continue to Hold open hand saying, God, if you will, God, if you will, God, if you will. Mark's an example of that, but ultimately the, our best example of that is Jesus Christ. So this morning, as the band comes back up, we're going to take communion, and I want you to remember how Jesus models for us surrendering to God's will. In the garden of the Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was crucified, he feels the weight and the pressure and the burden of the sin of the world upon his shoulders as he senses what's about to happen. If you remember, Jesus in the garden, he says, Father, if you are willing, James says, if the Lord wills, Jesus models this for us. In my fleshly body, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to endure this suffering. I don't want to endure this pain. I don't want to endure this separation from you, my Father. And so if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Take this cup of suffering from me, nevertheless. Not my will be done, but your will be done. It's interesting, James also says in verse 17 of this passage, he says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Jesus surrendered his will to God's, said my flesh doesn't want to do this. This isn't my will. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus, the sinless Savior, went to the cross on our behalf. And so remember that this morning as you take communion. If you are a follower of Jesus, these communion packets are here for you in the pew. As the band leads us in this next set of music, take communion when you feel led and ready, remembering Jesus, surrendering his will to God the Father, and then stand and sing with us. Let me pray one more time. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for setting an example for us, the ultimate example of saying, Lord, if it be your will and aligning yourself with the will of God, living a sinless life. Lord, I thank you that when we, when we misstep, when we struggle to surrender, when we fight to protect and keep and advance our own will, we are forgiven through the blood of Jesus. We love you. Amen.